you uh, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29, that is found, if you're using uh, the Pew Bible, we invite you to do that on page 656, 656. And uh, as you're turning there, we'll give a little background for this chapter. Uh, some of you maybe are new to Christianity, uh, don't know a whole lot about the Bible. Let me hook into something that you probably have heard of, and that's the parting of the Red Sea, okay? That's kind of well-known even in popular culture, Moses parting the Red Sea. Well, the result, final result of the Jewish people going through the Red Sea was the establishment of the nation of Israel. And eventually, because of conflict, that nation broke up into two parts, northern part that would continue to be called Israel and the southern part called Judah. Well, because both of those uh, nations were so evil, they both eventually were judged and sent into exile. The northern kingdom first, because it was more evil, that was in 722 BC. For about a hundred, over a hundred years, it was only the southern kingdom. Then 1597, because of their evil, their judgment started, okay? And the first thing that happened was Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon comes to Jerusalem, uh, defeats uh, Israel, and deports the king and a lot of the leaders and artisans and the like of Israel. And for 11 years, they continued as a nation, and then a second thing happened because the king he had put in place rebelled against him, and then he just wiped out Jerusalem in uh, 586. And Jerusalem was level, the temple was destroyed, it was over. But there were those two parts, right? First deportation, second deportation. Well, this letter was written from Jerusalem by Jeremiah to the people in that first deportation, maybe just a couple of years after that happened. So he's writing to the king and the leaders, and he's advising them on how you're to live in this exile, especially, as we'll see, in light of the false uh, prophecies that were floating around at that time. So this gives you some background. Uh, this is uh, right after the deportation the first deportation. So, verse twenty, uh, chapter 29, verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent, you really want to get this, I'm just kidding, all these names. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, uh, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So, uh, apparently, Zedekiah has these two guys, and he's sending them to official uh, disp disp uh, disputation, you know, official business. And as they're going on official business from Zedekiah in Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Jeremiah attaches this letter along, okay? 
So now the letter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to their dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Now, verse 11 is our popular verse. This is a series on popular verses, verses well-known, much used. Here's our popular verse in that context. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Your ESV may say plans for wholeness. I think the Pew Bible actually says that. I don't know why the ESV differs there, but it does. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Thus, the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, bless us that we will understand your great sovereignty in our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now, just a word about these uh, false prophecies that Jeremiah spoke of in verses 8 and 9. You can see, if you look at the title, and I hope you'll keep your Bibles open. If you see the title of chapter 28, you'll see Hananiah the false prophet, okay? Now, what was Hananiah's approach? It was basically give the people what they want to hear. So right after that first deportation, Hananiah said basically, hey, don't worry, it's going to be two years tops in Babylon and then God's going to bring down Babylon and the king and all the people and all our stuff will be back in Jerusalem. Just hold on a little while and the nightmare will soon be over. That was Hananiah's message. Uh, and by the way, you can re- read in the last verse of chapter 28 to find out how that went for the false prophet Hananiah. Uh, note to self, if you're thinking about going into false prophecy, pick another profession. Okay. <clears throat> Now, you can understand why they wanted to hear, don't worry, we're coming back soon. Because as Thompson writes, they were cut off from all those things which they depended on and which they regarded as essential to their own well-being. The nation state of Israel, the kingship, an army, national borders, the temple, 
They wanted it to be like it had always been and they didn't really know how to operate outside that context. So they wanted to hear, let's let this be over immediately, okay? And Hananiah and others delivered. Sure, it's not going to be long. Two years and we're back, okay? But of course, Jeremiah's unpopular, unsettling, even devastating words were this. Settle in, people. Settle in. This is not going to be a one-round fight. It's going to go the distance, the full 15 rounds. And I want to tell you something. Basically, his message is this. None of you are going back to the land. You got that? None of you are going back to Jerusalem. Yeah, some of your children, some of them, But you know what? It's mainly going to be your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. They will go back, but you will never see that place again. And so, don't be listening to any back-in-no-time garbage, because it's not happening. You need to settle in, build houses, plant gardens, marry and have kids, let the kids marry and have kids, settle in, seek the welfare of this place because you're going to be here a while. That was the message. And of course, uh, they wanted to kill him for that. Uh, They tried to kill him for that. The last part really had to be hard. So what you're... You, the false prophets, you call them false, but these other guys are telling us this this terrible nation of Babylon that crushed us and put it under its thumb will soon be gone, but you're coming along and telling us that we should seek the welfare of this place that crushed us. That we should pray for this place that crushed us. You've got to be kidding. No. I'm not kidding. And you see, that's where our verses come in. Our verse 11. Yeah, seek the welfare of your city and pray for it because I have plans for your ultimate good. Now, it's a little lost in translation if uh, your ESV version is wholeness. The word is the biblical, the Hebrew word shalom. And it's the same word as is used in verse 7. That three times, seek the shalom of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its shalom, you will find your shalom. And then eventually, I know the plans I have for you, plans for shalom and not evil. You see, there's a, there's a connection here. You work for the wholeness of your city because I am going to bring you into ultimate wholeness. You bring about good. You care for the people around you. You work for righteousness and justice and the well-being of others. Why? Because one, in their shalom, you will have shalom. And two, I'm bringing you into ultimate shalom, the restoration to the land. Here is his message. Work for the well-being of those around you, confident in your ultimate well-being. See, that's the context of this verse that we've used so much. I know the plans I have for you, 
plans for shalom and not for evil. And of course, to do that, they would have to put their trust in Yahweh. And they would have to put their trust in His purpose. They would have to turn from their idolatry that had brought them to Babylon... And as he says there in verses 12 and 13, call on Yahweh and seek him with all their heart. And as Calvin points out, nobody can seek God with all their heart and no prayer is with all your heart. He says he simply means insincerity. You, you really mean, you really seek after God in helplessness and you really want him. They would then have to live out their faith in this city where Yahweh had placed them, in confidence that he would ultimately restore them to the land. Now, how does that apply to us? And for that, I would like for you to turn with me to page 1014 in your Bible to 1 Peter. And please, everybody turn, because we're going to be reading from 1 Peter. I think you will find it pretty remarkable that what Peter writes to the New Testament believers, and of course this pertains very directly to us as New Testament believers, is so much in line with what we read in Jeremiah 29. Beginning with the first verses, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles... Of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God. And so he's calling to mind the very situation of Jeremiah 29. People, he's purposely saying, You're in exile like Israel was in exile. You're scattered among the nations. They were scattered among the nations then. You were scattered among the nations now. And notice immediately how he begins to refer to the plans that God has for them. The good plans. Just the fact that he calls them elect exiles. That has to do with God choosing them. God having a purpose for them. God having a purpose for their being in this exilic situation. And then you see in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. So here are exiles headed for a final rescue, restoration, and inheritance just like the exiles of Jerusalem, right? He's fixing their hope upon it. Notice how he says in verse 13, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so everything is forward thinking. In the midst of where you are, have your hope set because I know the plans I have for you. And they're plans for good at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I have an inheritance for you. It is imperishable, undefiled. I know the plans I have for you. See, this is a New Testament version of that. Now, in the meantime, how were they to act? Here they are, exiles, fixed with this future hope, just like the exiles. How are they to act? 
And so in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, notice. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, there's our language again, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Here it is. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, which they were doing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The prospect is that they will change their evil speaking against you as you consistently care for them and do good to all around you, even to the point that they will begin to honor this God that they are despising and slandering. Very much parallel to the idea of work for the shalom, you see, of the city. And then you see this in chapter 3, verse 9. Again, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And after a quote from Psalm 34 about doing good, he says there in verse 13, Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You see, continuing to do good, even in the face of persecution and rejection. And then the heart of their hope is set forth in chapter 4, verse 19, as he says, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And then he closes the letter in chapter 5, verse 10. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So you see, in the face, and, and their situation really was harder than the Jews in Babylon. Because they had open persecution in ways that they didn't in Babylon. So in the face of this mistreatment and abuse and a slander, a slander he's saying continue to be good, to, to be ready for, to give a reason for the hope that you have, to give a reason for this future shalom that you expect. You see, they, they have their hope fixed on this shalom. This frees them and strengthens and enriches them to give themselves away to others. And people watch them persecuted and suffering and wonder, why do you have such hope? Where has this come from? And they're to be ready to speak and to tell them about the hope that they have. And you think of the differences in us and those Jewish people that lived in Babylon. They had just passed through devastating judgment. And they were called to trust God and plan. Uh, and, and trust in God's plan for them, right? Even after judgment, you and I, we have passed through God's rescue in Christ. Right? 
We've passed through God's rescue in Christ Jesus. And we're called to trust God's plan. Think of the difference in that. That was hard for them in the midst of judgment. To hold on to this God who had so obviously destroyed them. And yet they were to put their faith in him. We have faith in a God who destroyed his son on our behalf. That's who we put our faith in. And we trust in the God that would do that for us. Who would come in his own person. The person of Jesus Christ. That God himself would come. Take upon himself our sin. That he himself would suffer for us. And now he says, entrust your life to me. Entrust your life to me. How about when this God now says to you, I know the plans I have for you. And they're good. They're good. And he's got the cross backing him up. He's got the cross as the grand statement. It echoes. It it amplifies every word to say, this is what I'm up. This is the care that I will give you. The spilling of my own blood for your sake. And by his grace... This statement in verse 11 that I know the plans I have for you. We get to connect every circumstance, good and bad, to that cross. That the God who died for me is the God who guides me. His plan to rescue me through his own blood includes his plan to bring me even through terrible circumstances. Same love, same wonderful plan. We know the plans he has for us. They're good. They're sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we think of the good. We want to define that good. Kind of explore it a little bit here. First, the good that he has for you is forgiveness of sins. Okay? The favor of God winning you into fellowship with the living God so that his Constant favor is upon you. And you can have fellowship with this God. And enjoy this God. And know this God. And delight in this God. And trust in this God more and more. That's the first huge, giant good that he desires to bring into your life. This relationship and for it to expand and enlarge and enrich the whole of your life increasingly. That's a good, I know the good that I have planned for you. It's shalom, wholeness, wholeness in your relationship with God. Secondly, it's the good of being like God more and more. And manifesting that goodness in the world. That wholeness of beginning to spend your life for others And the good that that can bring into the world, the shalom that it can bring into others' lives. And as a part of that, that we, and this is kind of part A and B of this second part of being made like God, is that we're being formed into a community that has shalom, right? Right? I know the good I have for you. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to bring you into shalom in a community of believers that exhibits this restoration 
exhibits the very life of this restoration and is now bringing that shalom into their city. He knows the good that he wants to do, the shalom that he wants to bring into our lives and to others. And brothers and sisters, all that the church does for the city is an example of our seeking the shalom of the city, seeking the peace of the city. A pregnancy lifeline uh, through support in the volunteers saves hundreds of children's lives. Many of these are unbelievers. Some become believers. We're just trying to save people's lives. We're just trying to save babies' lives. That's shalom. That's wholeness where there's brokenness. And, and to save the family structures there, to save these people so that they have uh, this kind of support that would enable them to keep their children. Or to provide support so that they can find a place for their children if they can't keep them themselves. International Justice Mission actually delivering children from sex trafficking in the world. That's shalom. See? That's wholeness where there's brokenness and devastation. These are believers doing this for for pagan people. That, that aren't doing it for themselves. For people in nations that aren't doing it for themselves. Coming in there and saving the lives of these children. It's when we meet the basic needs of the poor. With food and clothing and shelter and jobs and all that that entails. It's the work of reformed prison ministry and hope prison ministry that Chandler leads. It's the ministry behind bars to bring wholeness into men's lives that are broken and then to be with them when they come out of prison to bring wholeness so that then they start bringing wholeness into their community. It's our own missions trip seeking to bring wholeness into children's lives in this community, wholeness into children's lives of refugees that have come here. And brothers and sisters, it even extends to your everyday job where you're seeking to manifest in your excellence and your wisdom and your concern for others that that you're exhibiting shalom even there in everything that you do. That's what we're called to do. That's our great privilege. And so... The good of knowing and embracing this God, the good of being like him and manifesting his shalom in concert with the people of God, becoming a community of shalom that that shines forth that shalom, all with this final good. That not just like Israel of being restored to the land of Israel, okay, that's what that was the, the plan that God had for them. I will restore you to the land. But God's plan for us is the restoration of the whole creation. God's plan for us is the resurrection of our bodies for which Christ died and was raised. That's his plan for you. And it's a good plan. It's a good plan to raise you to perfect goodness and love and perfect community forever in a perfect creation in a perfect body that's a good
good plan. And as part of that, it will be the removal of all evil and suffering forever. So that in our hope that things here and evil and suffering will be used to God to bring all of this good into our lives. And as a platform and a context for us to bring good into other people's lives. To be little heroes in the midst of evil. We know that the final good is that this evil will be gone. And we'll be brought into the new heavens and the new earth. That gives us hope. (laughs) That gives us hope. He hates the evil worse than we do. And it will be gone one day. Oh, I tell you, if you don't trust this God, if you don't trust in this Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to. Who will care for you like this God who has come in the flesh to sacrifice himself, monumentally sacrifice himself in order to bring all of this good into your life? (laughs) Let him get his hands on you, okay? Let him get his hands on you. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, draw us to Jesus Christ. Draw us into your tender care and love, oh, Lord God, that we truly will believe in the plans that you have for us in the most terrible things that have ever happened to us in the most terrible things that ever will happen to us, that we will believe in the good plans of our God. Amen.